This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, we're talking all about the Sundance documentary School Life with directors David Rain and Nessa Nietzsche Over the course of one year at this unique boarding school in Ireland, within the intimate cinema verite style of the film, we take a peek inside this incredible school while seeing how the progressive curriculum and the ideas for music have influenced the students. We'll learn all about how David and Nessa were the only two crew members on this amazing looking film and how they achieved that cinematic style. We'll also have some insights on the documentary editing process and the keys to remaining objective. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, please visit jogroadproductions.com. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at jogroad, Instagram at jogroadproductions, like our Jog Road Productions Facebook page. You can also subscribe to Jog Road Productions on YouTube to watch our Road to Cinema video series with Don Cheadle, Hewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, and many more. And now we join the directors of School Life, a new documentary which premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival and which opens in theaters on Friday, September 8th. So, so much about documentary filmmaking is about access and timing. So first, how did you gain access and the trust of this school? And also, how did you know that this was the perfect time to step in there? Yeah, well, it, this, it started with a search for a school for our children um, because we were living in the northwest of Ireland and our children were attending what we thought at the time was a very idyllic kind of village school. It was an all Irish speaking school. Um, but because uh, we were outsiders, we were like blow-ins, as they call us, you know, when we come in there to this kind of very rural area, we realized that there, it was quite a homogenous community and that the, we wanted a more diverse education for our children. So we started looking um, locally first and then we cast the net a little wider. And then we realized, you know what, we're going to have to move because, uh, you know, there, there isn't an awful lot of choice of school in rural Ireland. Yeah. So we found, uh, we looked at Steiner schools, we looked at Educate Together schools, which are non-denominational schools, and then we found this school on a website. And it was the headmaster's um, letter that um, inspired us to, to uh, meet him. And in it, he talked about like the happiness of the child being at the core of the child's education. And we thought that was a really good starting point. So we went down, we met him, we got on really well and he knew our previous work so he was he was aware that we were that we were filmmakers and then sort of over time that conversation started which you uh, we sent her we decided to yeah. send our children to the school and then uh, they he was he asked would we be interested in making a film about the school and both of us had been to boarding school so we we were absolutely fascinated by what the 21st century boarding school looked like and we both had very different experiences mine was quite mine was quite idyllic and uh, david's was was a bit more difficult because i was uh, 7 age. and i was sent from nigeria back to uk Oh. So I only got to see my parents once a year in the summer holidays. That's very, very young. It is. It is young. Well, it was quite common for British children to to go to board to go to boarding school from as young as four. So wow. Seven was relatively old. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So we were interested in the 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 how a twenty first century boarding school would be. So when the opportunity came. The, the access was, um, in a way, it was an open door. The school were, were willing to, to have a film made. The board of the school were very, were very supportive. Did and you have to approach parents? We yeah. had to approach all the parents individually, and they were asked 
you know, they were. It was explained what the what the process was that we were filmmakers, that it would be a long term film, and would they be happy for their children to participate? And they almost all agreed. There were two, I think, who didn't for different reasons, and we we avoided those children, so we didn't film with those children. But the the great thing was the school themselves and the board of the school were 100% behind it, and as a result of that, we got we got quite unprecedented access, mm. and and it's a real privilege for any filmmaker, any any documentary filmmaker to be given that kind mm. of access and, and to be trusted with that mm. you know yeah. it's a it's a mm. great thing but the headmaster left it up to us then we had to negotiate with the various teachers in the school and when we could film in their classrooms yeah. and so and, and in the beginning the Leydens had zero interest in us as filmmakers like they just thought the whole oh. filmmaking thing was just you know the they, didn't, didn't, they didn't they didn't agree with it you know they, they, they thought this was a very bad idea so that took a little time to, um, because it, we had a year of research when our children attended the school, we were kind of researching it and through them, I suppose, as well as trying to meet everybody and talk about what kind of film we wanted to make. And um, uh, I think it was really over time that uh, the Leydens kind of, you know, saw that we were serious about sticking around and making a film but at the same time we had spoken because we didn't have much contact with the Leydens in the beginning because our children weren't in their classes um, uh, we spoke to a lot of alumni like 50 year olds and 40 year olds and 30 year olds who had been to the school and they were the names that kept coming up John and Amanda Leyden they were the ones who had left their mark on them so we knew that they were important to the story if we were really going to capture the essence of this school yeah. um, and so really seeing the film from their point of view that was really that cute. came later yeah. that yeah as we got to know them then we realized like they're just I mean you know there's there's no comparison to them on screen and they they have such charisma when 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 you film with them that that it you know it's very hard to leave that behind and let it go yeah. I mean originally we we had imagined that we'd have a much wider broader view of the school but you know you always have to have some characters that are going to guide you and they were the best characters yeah. to guide us through the school. Now the very first day that you were filming was there any learning curve in terms of how the students were comfortable in front of the cameras or even the teachers? Was it immediately everybody was comfortable or did it well, take we a were, little time? We were that? lucky in that in our year of research in the last few weeks of that we, we asked could we bring a camera and start just getting people used to the camera but also we needed some footage to try and raise money and raise funding for the film. So a lot of the children and staff had had, had us filming for two or three weeks at the very end of, of our year one. So the, the, the year two when we started filming proper, that first day was still incredibly challenging and chaotic because there were 80, 70 to 80 kids arriving. Some are being dropped by their parents are going to be left there for the first time in boarding school. There's, uh, there were a new staff member. You know, there were things happening that we just, we didn't quite know how we were going to deal with that as filmmakers. Yeah. And the way we worked, it was it was just NASA and I. NASA did camera and I did sound for, for two years. So on that first day, we brought in an extra cinematographer and sound recorders because we knew so much was going on. Uh, and even still, to, to follow new children and try and think, okay, these children could be interesting or following in the parents, dropping them off, talking to the matrons, explaining, you know, how their child, you know, yeah. might be feeling homesick. Their needs, their medical their needs. needs, whatever, yeah. So we covered a huge amount. Um, 
and in the in the end, in fact, we didn't use that first day of filming at all because because we followed John and Amanda's story, and we didn't we wanted to to drop people, drop an audience straight into the film, and not although it's chrono it is chronological, the film does follow a year in the life of the school. We wanted to 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 drop them straight into the world and not have them you know, arrive with the children and building up into that world. Yeah, so you're much more immersed yeah. in that reality. Yeah, and you know who, who's going to guide you through the year. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, what you just said, is that the two of you are, were the only crew throughout filming. So what are some of the benefits of sort of keeping the crew that size when you're filming a documentary? Well, access and intimacy um, would be the critical ones. The yeah. children completely forgot about us after a week or two of us filming. And the staff did as well. The staff were great. Um, and we could get very close, you know, mm. we get, which, which if there were three or four people or if there was a, a PA running around, you know, taking notes or uh, if, we, if NASA had been directing a camera person. Uh, the other thing is, of course, we could never have afforded it. Two years yeah. of filming. To, mm -hmm. to, to employ a camera and And you were filming team. one camera Just at a time? Just one camera. Wow. And, yeah. there, no, there were, well, there were certain days. Three like, days, say, three or four days. Yeah, maybe. there were certain days, like say sports day, we brought in a second camera. Um, uh, the, the, the play, we brought in another camera for when the, the school played because we knew we needed somebody out in the front. We wanted to be in the back. Um, there, so there were a couple of days that we knew that were really busy that we would take in a second crew. But we never but took a second crew into, for example, the children's dormitories. No. That was that a private was space. Yeah. It was a very privileged space for us to be allowed into. Yeah. We didn't want them to go, oh, look, there's a strange man and woman walking around with the equipment. They, they, they needed to know it was us. And because yeah. our, our children were in the school, they were day pupils, they were not boarders, but they were day pupils. So everyone knew us as Tiger Nalia's mom and dad as well. So that also helped with the, the staff and the children. Mm. What was uh, surprising about this particular school that you know sort of differed from your own personal experiences going to boarding school? Because I'm sure the culture, you know, in terms of the country, in terms of what a boarding school has changed over time. Yeah. Well, I went to I went to a convent, and so we had silence in the dormitory at night, <laughs> and uh, you know, lights out, and I mean, there was none of this fun stuff, you know, running around. It wasn't like a big sleepover. I mean, we kind of tried to make it like a big sleepover, but it was nowhere as uh, as fun as, as what Hedford was. Um, yeah, I and think I think the relationship, the relationship with the teachers is, it was totally different. You know, like the, there was much more of an emotional connection with the teachers in Hedford than, than anything I ever experienced. And the extracurricular activities, you know, like the, the band room. I mean, we didn't have anything like that. I mean, you know, that was that yeah. just just wasn't even on the map. I know we were we were allowed to watch Top of the Pops on a Thursday night for half an hour, and that was that was our only <laughs> access to music. You know, like apart from like a piano lesson or something from a terrifying you know teacher, but that was it. Um, and and I think like what 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 struck us the most was how the children were having this old-fashioned kind of childhood, you know? I mean, they would play chess in the dorms at night. They used to play, they all played cards, you know, because they had so little access to screens. They loved know, being outside. There was none of that trees, kind of, I, well, we just stay in and look at computer screens. They're not allowed to have uh, electronic devices, you know, iPads and iPhones or anything like that. 
So they 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 chose to go outside and they looked forward to be to, mm. to run around, to build forts in the woods, to climb trees. And that is, like NASA said, that that's a part of childhood that we felt is disappearing. You know, and it's sad that it's disappearing. And so here was here was that childhood being extended mm. for them. Mm. Yeah. And that was quite special. Yeah. And and the culture of reading, you know, that was extraordinary how every kid had a book. You know, every kid carried a book around with them. They had it on their desk. As soon as they finished their lessons, they picked up this book and mm. they read it. And, and this wasn't enforced. Like Amanda would always say, you know, never, ever tell a child they must read. You know, yeah. this is something that must come from them. And if they see the older kids, the cool kids doing it, then they'll want to be like them. And that's, that's how she kind of sort of instilled this love of, literature you know slowly and then sometimes she got kids in there who who didn't read at all and you know she'd slip yeah. a few beanos around <laughs> and but it worked like yeah. that's that you know just get them reading it doesn't matter what they read just get them reading and um, and so by the time they they move up they're devouring series of books they know their authors like it's fantastic but they'll so, yeah I mean it is amazing I read as a child and um, a lot because I, I grew up in South Africa, in boarding school first in England and then later in South Africa and there was no television, it was before they even had TV so I also read, devoured big books, three, four hundred yeah. page books and to see the children who were even younger than me, you know, I was reading at 12, 13, 14, here were eight, nine, ten year olds reading three, yeah. four hundred page books and mm. that was because of the culture in the school mm. but also again because there was, there was no alternative there were no electronic mm. devices you know yeah. television was restricted to maybe a weekend they well, could watch a girls movie night, boys they'd night. have a girls movie night or a boys, boys movie, movie night, night yeah. Yeah. well the power of imagination when you read how that engages you I mean that's better than any video game yeah. or sometimes any yeah. film you could watch yeah no, exactly exactly uh, jumping into the editing process mm. How tricky was it to sort of lock down what the narrative would be, and, and what is your process for working with an editor? Do you give them all the footage and say, hey, you know, put something together, or do you have sort of a set structure that you have in place at the beginning? Yeah. Well, we decided to bring, we'd, we had worked with Miriam Struggler, our editor, on our previous film, so mm. we knew each other quite well, and we decided yeah. to bring Miriam in early to start reviewing material with us. We had 450 hours of footage over two years. Uh, and to review it and start making notes about it and start pre-selecting the elements that we thought were really strong. Now we knew right from the end of filming that John and Amanda were going to be main characters, but we still didn't have the children's character arcs. We needed to, we found those really in the edit suite. We were not sure which of the other members of staff would feature or how largely they would feature and that was, we, again, we mm -hmm. figured that out in the edit suite. Mm. It was a whole year of editing. It was a yeah. long process. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we just picked our favorite scenes, you know, like the ones that really resonated to us, the ones that we felt like, okay, this, you know, this is really capturing something, and and then we just whittled it down to a workable twenty-five hours of footage, and then from there we started crafting the the children's narratives, and uh, and then we we went back to the parents once we knew which children were were going to feature in the film. We went back to those parents to make sure that they were happy with the storylines, the, story the three characters. And um, but it was—I mean, it was tough. You know, it was—it 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 uh, was a long process. But um, I think that's what you have to do when you're doing something observationally, and you're not. You can't, there's no shortcuts. <laughs> you know, everything, all the little pieces of the jigsaw have to fit together, and you know. 
and chronology and like what scene plays with what you know against what you know it all it, it, they play differently so like that yeah there was a lot of time spent on that well what really grabbed me was that you made the choice not to use talking head interviews yeah. and it really immerses you as if you're watching a narrative film yeah. like when when the film opens and you're introduced to the school and you're observing this it mm -hmm. feels like you're in that world completely mm -hmm. and sometimes yeah. a talking head interview in this type of film can kind of take you out of that yeah so at what point were you thinking not to do talking we head would, interviews from the very at all? beginning from the beginning we wanted to make yeah. it 100% observational but even right through the editing process we we had doubts we kept thinking do we need someone to explain this? Do we need, are the audience going to understand? You know, do they even know what world we've dropped them into? And we, we held fast to, to not going in that direction and stayed, yeah. stayed with the observational style. And yeah, there was a lot of looking. Like we did very detailed logs then. So like if you needed a piece of information, yeah. <laughs> like you had to really go back in and pull it out and you know, build a scene around it. I think it's interesting that you know an audience can really put pieces together logically and you mm -hmm. don't always need that extra information. It's yeah. like relationships are very apparent cinematically, mm -hmm. visually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you find that as you were putting the film together that things were really connecting just from a visual sense that you really didn't need to have? Well, yeah. we, made them, we made them connect, but it, you know, we yeah. had, thankfully, we did have choice at 450 hours. Yeah. And yeah. although out of that, it's, it, we only used the second year of filming. We filmed for two full years. The film covers the chronolo chronolo chronologically the second year only. Mm. So really, we're talking about extracting out of 200, 250 hours yeah. the film. I mean, the toughest, the toughest things in the editing process was how to start the film. That took a while. There were a lot of starts that we tried. You know, we we tried the traditional, you know, first, first day, day of school, people, all these kids arriving, you know, not knowing where they were coming to, and all of that. Yeah. And then in the end, we just ditched all that and started with John and Amanda, and uh, because you know you had to, you had to tell the audience straight away, these are our main characters. These are the ones who are going to guide us through. But that was something that came from trial and error, you know, because. Amanda wasn't present. She's not present on the opening opening day. John goes there. Yeah. He does a walk around. He kind of checks out, you know, has a look at the new batch coming in, you know, and some of the smaller ones kind of going, who is this old man walking around the place, you know, but, uh, but Amanda wasn't there. And so we tried all kinds of different, you know, scenarios of what she was doing. You know, she's usually tidying up the classroom, sorting out her books and all that. But we really needed to establish them in their home as a couple and then the other big link was or the other big thing that was missing and we didn't know how to solve it for a long time and it's the only shot that's really out of chronology is that drone shot you know we needed to let people know we are now in this world this is the world we're in and we're never going to leave it like this is this is where we the are and that john and amanda, and live, and amanda live in that world you know because their house is right on the edge of the of and the, the headmaster does too it, it, that that drone shot following John, uh, John and Amanda as they drive from their house to the school passes the headmaster's house, but of course we couldn't put a sign up saying headmaster's <laughs> house, although yeah. we would have loved like people a, a to Winnie have known the Pooh map, yeah. 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 Oh, it's interesting, um, you know, when I talk to different filmmakers about, you know, they're going through the editing process, they're trying to get notes and gauge opinions, what is the best way for you both to work in terms of showing cuts of the film? Yeah. and? trying to sort of get an outside perspective because as filmmakers you're so inside 
the story that you've been working on for, yeah. for years. Yeah, well, the way we worked was like I, I sat in with the editor all the time. David would come in every, every you know, once whenever a week. Whenever I was needed, no more. Whenever I was called on or needed to look to, at stuff. You know, when we were just so lost in the material, yeah. you know, David was kind of the, 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 the fresher eyes. And then when we had rough cuts, then we, we, we have like filmmaker, yeah, filmmaker friends around the world. We'd send them links, we'd get feedback, we'd have screenings at home, you know, as well with other people that we knew and get feedback and just try and figure out, you know, what was working, what wasn't working, you know, which, which children were working, you know, who you wanted more from. And, um, and uh, yeah, so those notes were extremely helpful towards the end for just like clinching it, yeah. yeah. And have you shown the film to the to the kids? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. they've seen. Yeah, the parents, the the the, uh, the key parents saw it first. Then we mm. did a screening for the the school, uh, for teachers and the parent and, and the parents children. and the children all together. Yeah. We rented a cinema and just brought them all in. And wow. Yeah, before it was before it was before it went anywhere, screened yeah. anywhere in Ireland. Was it surreal for them to see their? To see themselves play I, out on. I'm sure it was. The kids, the, thankfully, they all loved it. They all loved it. So there was know. no, there wasn't any negative yeah. response to that. It was probably the most surreal. Was we showed it to John and Amanda. Yeah. Uh, we invited them to our house and showed it to them, and they just watched it on an iMac uh, <laughs> in our living room. And they, we had invited them for dinner, and we'd, we'd eaten first, and we had, we showed them the film, and then we were going to have dessert afterwards and straight talk up and talk about it. We thought. And straight after the film, they, they got up and said, we've got to go now. And they walked out and we thought, oh my God, they hate it. They, but they just were totally surprised and shocked that they were the main characters, even though they knew we'd filmed so much with them. And they rang us later and said, oh, we just didn't know what to say, but we, you know, we're, we, are, we do like it and we're happy with it. And, and they, now they've seen it a few times and they're much more relaxed about it. And, yeah. yeah. I think they, were, they, they, they didn't really know how the world would perceive them. You know, because it's kind of hard to, because yeah. they're not people who would ever look for any people. kind of public kind of recognition or anything. You know, they're just, you know, we tried desperately to get them to come to some of the festival screenings and they were like, no, we, we teach, the children have to be taught, you know, we're teachers, <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't just go off, you know. And, uh, but, you know, they, uh, they've, they've had amazing, um, Feedback. feedback from alumni from all over the world. Not just Almost. alumni, just generally people. Yeah. People are really, really amazed with how they work and the, the compassion they have and the emotional connection they have with the children. Yeah. And you know, so I think they, you know, it's it's great. I mean, they're nearing the end of their careers, and uh, you know, it's I think it's a great testimony to them as as teachers who've made made a real vocation out of teaching. Mm. Yeah. And it shows their work that they've committed to yeah. all yeah. this time. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. I love the film. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Road to Cinema podcast. And remember, School Life opens in limited release on Friday, September 8th. We'll see you next time.